Welcome to Beat the Block, a podcast powered by BeatStars, the world's number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. This is a show where we go deeper than the surface and talk about the best producers and artists in the game, not just about their successes, but also the blocks, dark times, mental health, and unpaid work that comes along with it. More importantly, we find out they bounce back and turn their downsides into upsides to make a career out of doing what they love so you can too. Get ready to experience this episode of Beat the Block. What's good, everybody? This is your neighborhood-friendly Ill Brown. This is your girl, Candy. This is your man, Trox. And you are back with us once again with the Beat the Block podcast. How's everybody holding up? Everybody say what up to the people. What's good? Shit, we chilling over here, man. Big chilling. Quarantine. Yeah, I'm, I'm over this shit. <laughs> oh my god but uh you know what we're gonna stay safe and we're gonna get through it together you guys man so uh, today's guest though i mean man you might have seen her on sway in the morning she's in the winter circle i think everybody here is in the winter circle she's worked with bink 808 mafia we could run that all day man vh1 cbs uh under her belt everybody give a warm welcome to miss madley y'all hey, hey. hey what's going on <laughs> thank you for having me guys so, how's everything going on uh, on your end uh, of the spectrum right now, especially uh, with the quarantine and everything going on? Yeah, I'm just, the main thing is trying to stay sane and optimistic about the future of the music. Um, because for a quick second there, you know, I had a lot of stuff lined up and the year was looking really good as far as the projects and actually money coming in, which is two, th- two separate things sometimes in music. <laughs> You know, when this whole thing happened, it just kind of made me look at my life in general. And I'm sure everybody's going through the same things. They're like, is this what I'm doing sustainable at all? And and all these these thoughts that come to you. But at the end of the day, I was able to kind of, you know, get it back together. I reassured with the people I was working with that everything was still still going on as far as the projects and stuff. So Work-wise, hanging in there, I did get a little bit of a bug, so I'm not sure if I had the actual corona or if it was something else, but I was sick for about two weeks as well. Puts a lot of stuff in perspective, you know, like we can complain about work and we can complain about other stuff, but once your health is on the line, it's a whole different conversation to be had, you know? It's it's very frightening, man, but, uh, you know, we're all going to get through this, so... uh... Without further ado, let's let's get right into it. Yeah, so take us all the way back to your childhood in Estonia, where your journey in music started. Can you tell us the story about how and why your parents got you into music school? When I was a kid, I think at the age of like five and six, my main thing was to come to a piano and play the stuff that I can hear from the radio. So just play by ear. And my parents being in music, I think it was kind of like a natural course of events that they decided to put me in music school as well. I wasn't super excited about it because I I didn't really like reading music or like the theory behind it. I was just more interested in just like the creative aspect of it. So as a kid, I, I wanted to quit so many times. Like every year, I was like, okay, this is the year I'm just gonna stop. And I studied piano for like seven years. You know, it was it's great and I'm I'm grateful now today that I had this experience, but 
even up until maybe like 15 years ago, I was like, okay, this is just something that I did. And I, music wasn't on my career path whatsoever. So it was just something extracurricular that I had done in my childhood. So was this something that your family kind of like put you on to, kind of forced you into or? After music school, I was into singing. I started singing to classical opera singing for about two, three years. And there was a point of time where I decided, okay, maybe I should just, you know, go on with singing instead. And then when I presented this to my dad, he was like, mm, uh, I think you should just pick like a, like a real major for college and for life. So they were supporting it as something that would expand my creativity, but they definitely didn't see it as something that I should be doing for a mm. living. So I actually studied sociology instead. And I uh, was a, a journalist for a little while for a business newspaper in Estonia. And that was to become my real day job, mm -hmm. career, or whatever. But after a few years, I realized that that wasn't something that I wanted to do nine to five all day, every day for the rest of my life. And that kind of made me go back to music and kind of figure out my way. After college, I came to the States and in 2007, I finally decided to make music making and beat making my career. And I studied at IAR, Institute of Audio Research in New York. And yeah, that was like the conscious, like first conscious step towards the future of future in music or, you know, at least an attempt to do something in music. So take it back to your childhood. You fell in love with hip hop at some point. When was that and what got you into that? It was a 97 when uh, my friend got me a Wu-Tang Forever double cassette. Classic. And we just had come out of Soviet regime, so we didn't really have foreign music that much. Mm. Or we did, but it just came with a year lag or two-year lag. You know, in popularity, hip-hop overall wasn't where it is today, so... I remember the hip-hop section in a, a CD store was probably like 30 CDs or 40 CDs, and it's just at like super random selection or collection. Mm -hmm. But I would still go there and then, you know, save up some money to buy a few. My friends put me on to pirating music online. It's Kazaa's. I think it's from Estonia, if I'm not mistaken. Really? I had no so, idea. Really? Yeah, so all this like, downloading even though it took like sometimes an hour to get a song or whatever that was actually part of my how I got my music because of you know of course being broke and it, you know a kid still and not having a lot of stuff available in stores anyways one of the um the next big things for me was Kanye before the college dropout even came out I stumbled upon couple of the tracks, I think one with Consequence and some other collabs that he had. And then I really went in and tried to download everything Kanye had ever produced. Mm. Um, because I, I, I just was like, everything he does, everything he touches has an appeal to it. There's, there's no boring, like there's maybe a record that I don't necessarily like, but there's all, they, they all have something to right. it. So that I think sparked my interest in production in general. Since I already had the musical background, I was trying to crack the code. I'm like, okay, so what is he doing that every record sound like it has character that he has something to it there's always some air candy or that you know 
little something something to it mm. that that sets him apart from other producers. So that again, thanks to Kazaa and and other pirating programs, I was able to uh, I was able to get into. You know, you had to get how you had to get it how you lived. You know what I'm saying? Like I I, I couldn't knock that. Like I was a LimeWire guy myself. You know what I'm saying? I was on Napster when it was elite when it was when it was bootlegging. You know what I mean? I'm really curious about like you already mentioned like your favorite artists like Kanye West. You were talking about Wu Tang Clan. Were there any others that you were like gravitating towards? As a non-English speaking at the time, I couldn't get into the lyrics. So naturally, it was mostly just the beats, just the rhythm, just the cadence of a flow against the beat and stuff like that that made it appealing to me. I was always looking for the beat first, you know? If something caught my ear and and was really something that was appealing to me, that's what I would pump, really, uh, on my Walkman. Nice. <laughs> Good Walkman goes. Oh, crazy times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super crazy times. And um, the cassette tapes and CD players or whatever and, and the initial MP3 players or whatever. But... Yeah, I, I couldn't understand any of the lyrics and even some of the songs that I did understand like the slang and, and the background of, of what hip hop really means and meant. There's no way you can understand that from over there. You know, you have your, like a, you live a whole different life and even like this is not something that you can translate with a dictionary, you know? <laughs> right, but like you could feel the energy of whatever said artist is rapping with. You know what I'm saying? You can feel the energy of that. You can feel the energy of the production behind it. And once I came to the States and I started to understand and I, as I studied more, you know, the background of hip hop and what the words actually mean, that just made me fall in love with it more. You know, mm -hmm. that just reinforced the passion that I already had for the genre. So, you know... And sure, I would never fully be able to to understand it. I will forever be a, a student. I just can't deny that I, I like it and I have really, I have a lot of love for hip hop. And, you know, when I started making beats or whatever, it was never because of like, oh, let me be this female or this woman making hip hop, or whatever. I just did it because I had really, really so much love for it. And that's really what it was like, you know, there's nothing much more to it than just pure passion. Definitely. So you're into hip hop. You love hip hop at this point. What made you make your first beat? Like, was it out of like sheer curiosity? So when um, <laughs> I was in a studio in Estonia and I was doing background singing, but I also did like singing competitions and stuff like that at the time, right before I left to the States. And I was singing background to a rapper and I was listening to the beat. I'm like, this beat is whack, right? And then of course <laughs> you, you're just like, oh, let me just go home and you know get this program and make a beat that's like thousand times better than this. And of course it just sounds like Casio keyboard preset, you know, cause you just don't know. You just, but you have that ignorance. You're like, this is easy, you know, like. I remember when I listened to Lean Back when that first came out, and I was listening to it, like, it's so simple, right? Yeah. And and with your ignorant head, you're like, oh, there's just that one sample, and then there's drums, and like, what's there to it? But then, of course, once you get into it, the, then you realize, oh, shit, like, you don't really know anything. And, and even if you do know, you don't have the ear to put these simple things together for them to sound as good as Storch did, you know? Yeah. So. So that was kind of like just the curiosity of like, oh, let me see if I can make something 
similar to it or if I make a better beat than whatever I just performed on. And from there, it's just the, I don't know, competitiveness or curiosity or whatever. And also my passion for composing in general, that's kind of where I, I realized, okay, this is my niche. Like, I don't want to play it on a piano, but I love doing it on a computer. I don't want to do it in front of people, but I love doing it in my bedroom, in my geek mode, you know what I mean? So I just found that all these aspects kind of lined up for me. Yeah, definitely. It was like one of those things where it was like, oh, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but it, it, it was literally 15 years ago when that happened. So, And I'm still... To this day, sometimes like, oh, do, am I am I doing this right? And super self-critical. But when you begin, for some reason, you have all the confidence in the world. Right. Absolutely. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, oh, oh I can do this. This is nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is nothing. And then when you open up that Fruity Loops or that machine or that Logic or whatever you had, then it's like, oh, what did I get myself into? And this is for like the first timers. You know what I'm saying? Like, this has happened to me. I started off on Fruity Loops with an ASR-10. So I tried I tried learning hardware and software, and obviously I stuck with the software because uh, I was too young to understand what the ASR could do. So what made you fall in love with making the music? The creative part of composing and putting chords together and looking for different instruments, that, that kind of background I, had, I always had, but I never really utilized. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I have these programs and all these... All this, technology at, at my fingertips where I don't have to write down notes because I used to you know back when I was in music school you would have to write sheet music in order to have anything done and I hated that with passion right. so that's why I never wrote anything because it was it was dumb to me like and you know as a kid too you're just like what is this right you're looking for an easy way out and once I realized that I can actually record myself easily with the you just like press record and and your your thoughts are down that just kind of opened a whole new game for me and I'm like okay so um, I can start recording my creativity in a different way and express myself in a different way so I think that's what that was it was always in me but I just didn't like the the ways that I had to do it to that point definitely it was like they had these rules set up for you you know what I'm saying In, in the music school but they were kind of holding you back. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of classical music either. Like I'm well versed in it, but I'm not it's not something that I would rock on my Spotify. I just had the the basic knowledge, but I didn't have passion if if that makes sense. Right, of course. Like I mean, when you have these rules in front of you, like they're meant to be broken. The rules are meant to be broken, and then you found a way to break those said rules. I admire that about you because uh, creativity shouldn't have any rules. Yeah, and then I think it applies to choosing the music that you make as well because I am very much into like mashing up different styles and different genres even and not not just let's say if I'm making trap I'm not going to go to my 808 kit I'm, I'll pull up a kit that's something totally different yeah. but then I'm trying to make an 808 pattern um, you know stuff like that I'm, I'm interested in that still like childlike curiosity that, that gets you into some weird discoveries I'm like oh shit this is hot not intentionally but just you know messing around, fucking around with new sounds or whatever. So I feel like until you have that 
curiosity in you, you can still come up with new stuff and you can still stay fresh as far as your style goes. And there's one, it's just like once music becomes, making music becomes like this work or like, oh, I have to make such and such style track. It just sucks the, um, the fun out of Definitely. it, you know? So in order to keep that going, I'm always trying to challenge myself with, I don't know, mashing up two different genres that are not mashed up yet or, you know, like... Like I said earlier, just picking up a different sound bank or one day I decide, because okay, Omnisphere is my go-to mm-hmm. for a lot of stuff. But then I'm like, okay, so today I'm not touching Omnisphere. I'm going to make this whole track with sounds from, I don't know, Spire or whatever other, mm-hmm. you know, VST. So, you know, I make these things challenges for myself to uh, to be more engaged and, and interested in, in this process. Fast forward to 2006, you decided to move to New York City. First of all, what sparked that? Stupidity, looking back. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, if I had known, I'm not sure if I would have did it. it it's, been, it's been very rough because I did it by myself, first of all. I think it's the beginner's eagerness and, and um, ignorance, thinking that you can, you know, take over the world. Like, yeah, let me go to the school for a year and, you know, just grind out two, three years, make these beats and then, you know, just become a, a Grammy winner and, and get these billboard hits and stuff. Mm. Yeah, never did I think that it would take so long to, to get anywhere. So that was definitely a thing. And I was, again, moving to New York and my, my parents aren't like super rich or even mediocre rich at the time. They weren't for sure. So everything I had to do... Everywhere I had to go, I had to find a way to do it. Work two jobs or whatever, you know? And I, I didn't have a plan B. So knowing that you don't really have a parent's couch or basement to move back to even as a temporary resort is another set of anxiety that just kind of steers you away from the creative process. And you're just like, okay, so how am I going to make this rent? Like, it's like, it's, an, a mir- it's a miracle that I haven't been evicted from any of my places. Mm. It's literally every month has been like, okay, so up until maybe like a year or two ago when things got more stable, but it hasn't been easy. And I'm sure like it's, I'm not this, I'm not the only one. It's not like a sob story of somebody's like a first generation immigrant story. There are a lot of people struggling through life the same and for other reasons but you know I had a choice and and that's the thing like and then I don't really necessarily have anybody else to blame for the decisions I've made either so it it could be a roller coaster especially when you move to the Big Apple the New York City do you think you would be where you are at now without that though I don't think and and mainly because of my personality like I am like a, not a lazy, but a comfortable person, Mm. right? Like I never had to study super hard in school because I had fairly good enough of a memory. But I'm sometimes thinking like, what if I had gone for the full potential of what I can really do in life? Right. So I like that living in New York and living in the States and being outside my comfort zone has pushed my ass to do stuff. And also, like, the battles. It's the same thing. It was just me basically knowing myself enough to know that I have to challenge myself to do something. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for a battle, and then having that deadline over my head and knowing I'm going to be in front of a bunch of people and I can't look like an ass, maybe, too. Of course. 
and and you know reach further in in my creative bag and and work harder or whatever so this was that i standard battle we were talking about earlier right i've done a few after after as well so yeah basically just that kind of kept me on my toes for a while and was one of the ways for me to like motivate myself to to get out there but also just to create to the best of my ability at the time so jimmy Iovine has i think it's a scene in uh, that that HBO documentary, and it was also used as a skit in uh, Dr. Dre's last album. He said the thing that he did that set himself off was take that fear that was holding him back and then use that fear as an engine to push him. Do you think that was the moment that you were able to say, all right, I'm gonna take this fear and I'm gonna let it push me instead of hold me back? I think the key in life for me, at, as, at least, has been just know yourself enough to know what you need to do in order to, to get to places. It's mostly what I do in order to even get out the, at the house and then work out is trick my brain to like, if I do this, then I get to do that. Or watch the motivational, I don't know, a series of Sports Illustrated ladies for five minutes in order to get out the house and I'm tricking my brain all the time so this is maybe you know maybe this is weird but like this is basically one of the main ways I can get stuff done around the house whether it's cleaning or making a beat or working out or whatever it's just literally that I see. So you're, you're, you're one of those people that, like, needs some kind of, like, motivational support. It has to come from inside Got for it. me, that's for sure. But, yeah, when it comes to fear or when it comes to that, definitely. Like, I've been sitting on tracks for a while and I was just scared to put them out, you know? I was scared to really play it to people. And a lot of times, the people that surround you before you get into the circles of I standard or, mm. or other beat battles... You're not always surrounded by music people, you know? And sometimes you can play your stuff to a wrong person and they just give you the feedback. And when you just started out, you don't know good feedback from bad feedback, right? Right. You just take right. it for the face value. And unfortunately, for a while, I was surrounded by people who are just like, yeah, you know, our friends. And I took their advice too seriously and I was afraid to put out what I had. Until there was this breaking point and I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to do a battle, if I'm not going to present my music to the world, then what am I doing? Mm -hmm. So that's when I signed up and, and did my first. You just have to decide one day that you're going to do it. It's just one of those things. So I want to fast forward to you making uh, compositions for these companies and stuff. And I want to make this clear. There's a difference between composing and producing. Composing is actually creating the notes, writing the music, and then putting it all together. The producer is like the overall general of the song. They hire the people to play certain notes, among other things, you know? It's, it's, it's all, it's, both of them have really broad umbrellas. How did you end up like getting in these circles with like VH1 and CBS? Uh, so after IAR, I started working at a studio I was interning first, then it became a job, then it became... Basically, to this day, I'm still selling pro audio gear. I'm doing this remotely, but I have been in pro audio sales for over 10 years now. But as I was working in the studio, and when I was still doing it 9 to 5, um, one of our customers has a, a production library. So that's something where... You just basically collect a bunch of tracks and then you shop them to ABC or whatever, broadcasting channels. So 
as I was working with him on some other stuff, I became more and more interested and and familiar with that side of the music industry. So my first attempts or my first musical, you know, the first tracks basically that were published weren't hip hop or weren't even, yeah, weren't hip hop, weren't beats. They were actually compositions for TV. So classical music, uh, jingles, all types of different genres, but hip hop actually. So yeah, like hip hop to me, since that was my biggest passion, I almost left it the last because I was more self-conscious about it. And the other other kind of like modern classical, I could just say, okay, I've done this in music school. I studied this. So I was more confident making that. So for all of our listeners out there that might be curious to try their hand at this, uh, do you have any tips for them on like how to get in these circles? A couple tips I do have, which I've, I've kind of accumulated over a year. Well, one of the things, it seems to be like this notion in, in hip hop and beat makers circles that, oh, like anything that an artist doesn't want, you just throw away for licensing opportunities. And that's not true. And I feel like a lot of people are shooting themselves in the foot with that. And I've see, I see this all the time on Facebook and Instagram. They're like, yeah, you know, let me get into this. I have a lot of uh, throwaway tracks or I have a lot of like beats sitting on my hard drive. And I'm like, meh. Because one thing to remember is licensing game is just as competitive as making music for artists. So yeah, your odds are maybe better at placing something on TV, but then the money is not that great. It's more of a numbers game on the licensing side versus on hip hop or artist music or placement game, you would have a bigger chance or a shot at something making you hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. So in TV, the odds are are less, but then you, it's almost like scratch off versus Powerball, right? And I think um, somebody made that analogy, and I think that's that's a great way to look at it. So your licensing music is a scratch off. Yeah, you got five, ten dollars every now and then, but it mm. keeps coming, and it's it's it comes more frequently versus you placing something on Jay Z's albums, like all the spots are already shared, right? Like you, Swiss right. is gonna get one. You know, like Pharrell is going to get one and there's like two or three spots for guys like us to possibly maybe get a chance. But once you do get it, sure, then then you, you hit it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I actually learned that the hard way with uh, with licensing. Um, I was dealing with this licensing company. Still am, actually. I thought I would just throw them like throw away sample free joints. And then they were like, oh, we like these, but can you build on them? That's what they want. They want dynamics and stuff like that. Yeah, so the thing with that is like, thing to remember is your throwaway or shit track, like Z-list track is going against somebody else's best work. Somebody who wakes up and does licensing music nine to five. And to me as well, that was kind of like a wake up call when one of these companies was throwing like, annual composer dinner and then I went there and I'm like oh shit like these people are seriously doing this this is their day job like this is what they do so yeah that's one of the tips that I feel like is maybe useful for somebody that wants to get into it Um, and also your format is slightly different and like you just mentioned they want the stuff to change all the time so when you give an artist a track you give them like a bar loop 
then you give them a eight bar verse, maybe four bar uh, chorus, and then go back to the verse, like for artists, because that's, you know, they, they listen to it and they record to it as is, versus in licensing world, you're giving your music to an actual music supervisor or music editor. That's all they do. They know how to get that four bar loop to loop eight times if they wanted to. So you need to give them some changes or some variations that happen every four bars when they say, okay, licensing music is normally only like a minute and a half to two minutes, yeah, but then it has to have so much more happen to it versus a three-minute artist track. I feel like I've learned something today about that. Thank you, Madly. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's dope. I remember uh, I did some licensing work for a company called Mio Flavored Water. You know, you, oh, you yeah. squirt the stuff into your water. And stuff. You, yeah, and I, I submitted like 20 original compositions, man, and uh, it was crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, these they should like these a lot. The one they ended up picking was like, it was the one I did the most instrumentation on, but I, I wasn't necessarily the most confident in it. But I, I, I literally, every two bars, it was it was a surprise yeah. <laughs> as far as the sequencing went. And they were like, yeah, this is great. It like matches the energy of the product we're trying to sell. We're going to go with this one. And I was like, this is trash, but thanks <laughs> yeah, for the right. check. <laughs> you know what I'm no, saying? No, it's totally <laughs> like that. Totally <laughs> like that. The licensing world, this is a different place for sure. And it's almost, I feel like, closer to beat battle mode because then you know in your battles you want to also make sure that your tracks evolve throughout the whole minute or minute of a half however long your format is and i feel like this is closer to your um licensing format and then one of the mistakes i did or i made for a long while after doing battles I was sending my battle formats to artists and they didn't know what the fuck to do there. They're like, what's right. so, you know, and, and in my head, I'm like, okay, so they can just loop this part that they like, but then no, that's not how it works. They want the stuff to literally be laid out all the way, like, you know, in the song format. So, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, that I learned, you can, you can be a beat battle winner, but then if artists doesn't rock with your stuff, then, then what are you doing? Like, you know, <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. Yo, what up, Il Brown? I'm thinking of signing up for B-Stars. What's your experience like? Man, bro, B-Stars came through for me at a tough time, man. Uh, of course, the industry is much different now. It gave me a platform where I didn't have to build my own website, and I was able to upload my beats and sell them and engage with the community, man. I had a crazy first month, man. Did like 4K in sales. Wow. And I've been a fan and a member of B-Stars ever since. Sign up on BeatStars to start making money with your beats. Go to bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Again, that's bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Peace. What was the spark that said, you know what, I'm going to take my work to the big stage and, you know, was there any insecurities or, you know, things where you like, man, maybe I don't have the best equipment or best resources? When I went to IAR, so first things, I, I went there when I was 25 and the other kids were like 17. And I was like, fuck, I'm so old. Like, what am I doing? When the 17 year old kids were telling me like, oh yeah, I have 150 beats. And I'm like, fuck, I only have five. Like that was to me, that was, that was all, I already started with this insecurity and not being from the country and all these other aspects added to it. I was very, very like, uh, insecure for a very long time. 
I didn't have the right equipment. I was working on the floor for the first year and, you know, all these things. But, you know, that's struggle for, you know, I'm sure everybody's done it for a while. You know, all these things just make you think that you don't know enough. And again, like I mentioned earlier, being surrounded by people who are not really like, here's the thing, like when you play a track to your mom or somebody that's totally away from music and you ask for their opinion, they're gonna say something because you asked, right? But the feedback is not necessarily what you need to hear or what is even constructive in any way for you to uh, take your music to the next level. And I had made a mistake of relying on people's advices that weren't in music, that weren't even artists, that were just there. But since I asked, they replied. So when I'm asking, oh, do you think I should change this, this snare up or this up? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't, you know, they barely know what a snare is or, you know, stuff like exactly. that. So if you get caught up in that kind of uh, feedback loop from folks, that also can you really like kind of eat out eat your confidence or or you know thin out your confidence there so it was it's it's definitely was like a mixture of things that made me hold back for as long as i did before i i was brave enough to like step out let's go back to the i standard days you know i started with them and i was booking the new york market and i remember when i got your email first what made you submit to I standard to be in a producer battle. Like, what was your mindset at that moment? I had never seen a beat battle in my life at that point, but it was literally the, all the things that I'd already mentioned, but also I had worked with a guy, right? He was a, a partner, we were partners producing stuff for TV and film, but also for artists. And at a time, for a couple of years, it was it was fruitful because we were both feeding off of each other and we were both like, you know, learning from each other. But it kind of plateaued at one point. And then I realized there were meetings that we would go to and and stuff where he would that people would shake his hand, but they barely noticed me. So I felt like, okay, so I'm doing 50% of the work, but I get like zero acknowledgement from anybody. Or, you know, I just got that little subtle shade. And at the time I didn't really know what it was or why it had happened because I hadn't been in these circles. I just literally kept my head down and just worked, you know? So I didn't know how to take it, but part of me was like, well, I need my recognition for what I do. And then not even from being vain or anything like that, but it's like, if I do the work, then please shake my hand or, or, or look me in the eye or acknowledge Absolutely. that I'm in a room. So that was another aspect that kind of added to all the other things that made me want to do a battle instead of just putting my music out on, on Spotify. And I had read Wonder Girl's article where she oh, yeah. was like, okay, this is how I got my break. And I'm like, for, for a female producer. So I'm like, okay, so that, number one, it was my first time realizing, okay, female producer is a, is a thing. Because I, I literally had just had the passion for it. I was just, just knocking the beats. I didn't care, I, I, nor did I think of it in any type of way. But then I was like, okay, so number one, I realized, okay, it must be harder for me. And adding my previous um, experience with my partner at the time, I'm like, yeah, it is harder. So all these things combined kind of, I think, made me want to send my submission and, and just do it, you know? So I was super excited when I got that email because, you know, in New York, there's like tons of producers. Everybody submits. So I'm like going through 
hundreds of emails and then I came across yours, you know, listening to all of those beats. And once I saw, I was like, oh, there's another female because there are few and far between that actually come to showcase their music in front of a crowd. But I was like, you know, I just wanted to listen to your music and I'm like, she needs to be in this. But then once I heard it, I'm like, oh, she definitely has to be in this showcase. (laughs) Um, So big ups to that. I'm glad that, you know, you went ahead and took on that challenge. And I know that, you know, we're both women that make music and it is super challenging. We both deal with the same aspect. I book sessions with artists and they come in the studio and walk right past me, but go to the men. And I'm like, I'm the one that actually brought you in this room. <laughs> so they don't shake your hand. They don't do anything. And it's like, my bad. That's my favorite. Right. Like, my bad. And then they go something like babe or whatever. And you're like, ah. Yeah. And I was told one time, I was like, oh, I thought you was just somebody's girlfriend. <laughs> like, I'm like, I actually am the one putting up the session. So it's, it's pretty crazy the things that we've experienced. Given that, like, what is your best advice based on what you've experienced for like other women that are dealing with the same bullshit that we deal with in this industry. <laughs> you know, I've gone up and down about this. Like there there have been years when I was super mad and super like, yeah, something's got to change. And then I turned around and I'm like, there's nothing you can really do with, with, with rage or with, with demands and stuff. So I feel like you just... There's no other way than to just be good at what you do and let your work speak for itself. And it's easier said than done because a lot of times you can be dismissed before people even press play. Because they, you know, this happens so many times when people are like, oh, I thought you were going to be trash. I'm like, based on the fact that I have long hair or what the the fuck, you know, like based on what? You know, because like when a guy comes to you and says I'm a producer, they get a little bit more credit, you know? versus when you do it then it's but I feel like once you have proven yourself in a way of course and you can't you can't prove yourself to the whole world uh, until you're at a certain platform but once you've proven yourself I feel like it starts working for you you know if you pass this certain tipping point of like you being the female that actually makes good music that it starts working for you then you know and you know it's sad to say but it's then once you're on the other side of that hill you can start taking advantage of it because why not (laughs) absolutely it's like that self-confidence once it kicks in for you to acknowledge it within yourself then it kind of pushes you over that hump. I'm looking at the events, which I've, I've done quite a bit of like, oh, females in music industry, female producers, female this, that. And you know, you go there and you're like, mm, I don't want to be this token of, of like, oh, this is a female who actually knows, you know? But then, but then on, the other, on the other side, you're like, you have to take it. Like, I would be dumb if I turn it down just for that principle alone. Plus there are other people out there who might be discouraged because they're like, okay, I don't see other, I don't see any role models, I don't see any females doing it successfully, and then you feel like, okay, so somebody's gotta do it in in that sense, you know. I'm like, maybe not me, but some of we us females to need to like step up, you know, and you know, take it for the team. So, double-edged sword there, you know. I agree. So, when you did that first showcase. I know that you placed like third, but it was it was quite a few different producers in that showcase. I think about twenty. Uh, Trilogy was second place, I think, and Finestro was first place. Uh, and I ended up working with these guys afterwards. And that's when I came back a year later, and I was like, okay, now I know how this shit works. 
And that's what that's what I came first. So how did you feel when you stepped on stage your first time? Like, take me through that moment when you're like, shit, I'm here. Yeah, uh, I was drunk. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, definitely about like three or four drinks in. And um, yeah, at that point, you're just like, OK, you know, just sit there. It's like whatever. whatever. <laughs> I'm dealing with a lot of anxieties. And even like when I did Beast of the Beats, that year in 2015, I must say to even get through this whole battle, four days things, I was drunk all all this time. Not like, oh, this is a great advice from Madly, but um, I'm just letting you know that I was dealing with crazy anxieties. Not because of I standard in general, but, but, but life and, and all the other things. But so that was really like a rough patch in my life altogether. So yeah, that was that was the way I was kind of like able to to even have a conversation with somebody or or get on stage. No, I totally understand. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we all go through. People see like, oh, you just you make beats or you're you're on stage or whatever, but they forget that you know we have actual real life issues. And being a creative is difficult. Trying to earn money, trying to live. I remember I took out I took out a credit card in order to fly out to Atlanta to compete, you know. So, which I'm still I think to this day paying back. So, it's definitely a path for 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 people who who have a strong stomach, you know. Like it's not for the faint of heart because any other path you choose, whether it be wanting to be a CEO or whatever, it's hard and it's challenging. But you have a blueprint. You go here, you, you have this step, you go this step, you graduate from school, then you get an internship, and they're, they're easier to find than, you know, than getting anything in music industry. And there's a way more structure in any of these paths. So even if it takes you 20 years to become a CEO, you know what your next step is. Even who you need to suck up to. But in music industry, it's... It's, it goes like this. Like one minute you can be super fast-tracked to become on somebody's album or, 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 or get a placement with, I don't know, Cardi B or something. Next day it falls apart and you're back at zero or even below zero if you took out, if you took out loans or anything or gave up other work in order to work for this particular placement. So it's just super difficult and ambiguous and 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 it's it's way harder to do this than to do anything else in my opinion as far as like structured career path versus creative i agree i totally agree so what are some of the healthy ways that you've adopted if any <laughs> um with dealing with the anxiety aspect because anxiety seems to be something that we as creators, especially producers, deal with on an extreme high level. And the whole point is to is to find out some healthy ways that you kind of beat that block of anxiety or how are you trying to overcome it? Because I know we still have it to this to this day. So one of the things that I realized that I was doing is I was being super hard on myself. I was being very critical and very like expecting like shit to line up like super fast like like I mentioned earlier oh yes go to school and then two three four years later like land that amazing billboard hit or whatever and once you start 
mixing and mingling with other producers, you realize, okay, that's that's actually how it goes. It 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 does take you about ten plus years in order to to get to the point where you thought you were gonna get in 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 two. Uh, unless you're related to somebody in the industry. And if you're not fortunate enough to either have the money or be related to somebody, then yeah, it's, it's 10 plus year track, you know? And, and once I realized that, I kind of, I went easier on myself. And I felt like my anxiety levels came down a little bit as well, knowing that I'm not alone doing this and then feeling these feelings. And the other thing is I gave up on listening to all and everybody's advice oh, yeah. on how that's I should definitely. be doing and what I should be moving. But that's that's hard to say. That's hard advice to give because it does take a certain level of like knowing the ropes, you know? Like you have to go through it enough times to know, okay, this person's bullshitting, you know? Mm -hmm. But when you're starting out, you don't know. You're just like, oh, oh my God, oh, thanks so much, you know? And then you can be telling you total shit and you're just like following through and then feeling even more anxiety than, than before. It's good to like, Every now and then, it has helped helped me at least to kind of like weed out your your inner circle, whose advice you're taking, or whose whose direction is 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 worth you know listening to, and who's just like okay, yeah, good good shit, but then you just don't do you. Talking to other people that are going through same things helps a lot because then you know you're not crazy and you're not you know. That's true. Um, I think having a community of people, because then you, you kind of understand like, oh, everybody's going through the same shit. <laughs> like, you know, cl trying to climb the ladder. Um, so definitely your circle is everything. And honesty too. It's like a lot of people are just fronting. A lot of people are always like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then you know them in real life. You're like, what the fuck? Like, what did you just post? That That's not what you do. Mm. You know, like I, you know, not to mention any names, but like this is, I definitely have about 50 people that I know personally and then I'll see their posts and it, it just comes across like a whole different person. It's like, I just spoke to you and that's not what yep. we talked about. Or You know what I mean? Or... <laughs> So not to, a, not to, yeah, not to fall for the gram flexing or anything like that either, because that happens a lot. And you're just like, you, you can definitely feel left out or, or left behind if you take everything as 100% truth. So you did uh, one showcase, got third place, and then you won like the next one. What made you resubmit? Because that's another thing. It's like a lot of people, they go ahead and they join a showcase you got to have like some balls or like really know that you're on to something to go ahead and do it again and then again and again. So like what made you resubmit to give yourself that next opportunity? I felt confident enough from having that experience. Like, like I said, I'd never been to a battle. I didn't even know how it worked, you know? So when I, when I saw it the first time and I did it the first time, then I already knew what the battle format was. I know what kind of tracks and what aspects of a song the, the judges are looking for. And then I knew that the, these tracks, they, I didn't make them special, special for, the, for the I standard. It was just literally, I went through my catalog, I'm like, okay, what should I play? Versus knowing now that I'm gonna be doing this again and I just made some really custom tracks and then I made sure that I cover everything I'd sampled. I also made four of the tracks were from scratch. You know, all the, like, I tried to cover different bases, so 
I knew that I had more in me than what I had just displayed. And if that got me third, that just was like, okay, so maybe I can do a little better. But it's always like, it depends who you go against as well and who your judges are. So it's not really like, you know, I know I'm the shit. No, it's more like, okay, let me challenge myself again to, to do it. And also that got me this way in the morning thing because he was in the, in the, in the audience and he immediately just was like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do the cipher? So it's not only about winning or not winning, it's about being in front of the people that matter and then kind of rubbing shoulders and, 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 and starting the network because at the end of the day, music, for the most of us who've been doing this over at least five years and up, it's the easy part. Like you can make a track whatever you know it's just more about like who you sell it to and who wants to buy it who wants to pay for this shit so i think that becomes more important after a while than oh let me make a, a better track than i made yesterday because you see mediocre people not mediocre people okay this is very rude <laughs> but like people who are who are who are not like the greatest or the songs that are not the greatest making millions of dollars and they're like why am i trying so hard it's not about the actual intricateness of my tracks more than it's like am I getting this in front of the right people I totally Mm. agree so winning that showcase got you to sway was there any other major opportunities that resulted in that like after that showcase you know everything else that resulted from that was literally one thing that led to another that led to another that led to another because like I had this question asked for me before just recently and I was I started to track down let's say a yellow wolf placement right and yellow wolf happened because I knew Will I knew Will because I started making trips to Atlanta I knew I started making trips to Atlanta because I standard and I and because I you know because I had one like all these things they're they're not there's there's no straight shot let's let me shake hands with you today and tomorrow I have a a major placement it's never like that at least for me it hasn't been it's always been this crazy couple years later somebody hits you up hey uh, I remember I saw you in 2015 I literally get these two to this day and I saw you in in 15 and and I remember you were good and would you mind doing this and you're like oh shit you know (laughs) something that's like totally random but mm. something you've planted the seeds you're just now starting to see any sort of results and then not everything is a jackpot but can lead to the next step that could be a stepping stone for something else so it's a super intricate plan of of, of things you hit the nail on the head when you said everything is really planting the seed for the next opportunity because you have no idea where your next opportunity is going to come from. Of course. Um, so persevering through everything and just getting in front of people and it's, you know, whoever gravitates towards it, gravitates towards it. And, and that's just the way it, it goes, really. Yeah. And it goes back to the same thing we just spoke about earlier is that there's no straight career path. There's no like, oh, this is what I need to do in order to do this. No, you need to do this and take a shot in the, in the dark, a stab in the dark, and then wait if something comes five years yeah. later. Like, it's just, it's just unfortunately how, how it is, you know? So... Madly, we all know that this journey takes us to an unexpected downturn of some sort. Could you maybe like get into one of them? Or was it like maybe like an opportunity that fell through? Was it like an unexpected expense that happened that set you back? Like is anything that you'd like to elaborate on? Again, like I, it's not like a sob story because I know anybody who takes this 
remotely seriously takes this music career remotely seriously knows that it just comes with a lot of like financial sacrifices and 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 sacrifices in general like spending time with your family or even having family like this is it's just a lot you know and it also comes with a lot of promises of a better day or like i don't know unicorns and rainbows and literally 10 to 20 opportunities out of which maybe one or two actually grow legs I've been close to things that I thought were big things many times. One of the things being part of the Level X group with two other female producers that was endorsed by Missy Elliott. And when we we did that, that was supposed to be, not supposed to be, but you still know that when she's involved, it, it just gives you like a little more hope. And then we we made an actual album and a project with the ladies and it all came out good it's just it just never never really took off the way it was supposed to and and some other things happened and it just um a year of efforts maybe more from their side but a year of efforts can kind of like was like fizzled out also situations with managers or people that are like yeah you know let me yeah you know your catalog is great let's do this let's do that and it's just like it ends up being nothing or forming groups with people that are like yeah we should do this producer group or we should do this artist group or we should do this make this band or whatever and it just kind of like falls flat so there have been a lot of those things and from financial aspects yeah like i'm still paying back the cards that i used to travel around to go to atlanta to go to la to go to south by southwest without having any monetary thing at the end of the rainbow waiting for me when i got there just off the hunch or like just to you know talk to the right people and hope something will come out of it one day in the future Another thing we all go through as producers, you know, is, uh, you know, the dark side and the downsides of constantly putting yourself out there. You know, like you said, paying for those flights on a hunch and going to all these events and different, uh, you know, showcases and, and, and festivals and things like that. Mental health is a, is a big thing for us producers. Uh, you know, all of us on the show are producers and we have our ups and downs. Uh, what, what are some of the things you do? To make sure you're good, you know what I'm saying? Like, what are some of the things that you would recommend or some of the processes you go through to make sure, like, you know, mentally I'm, I'm doing good despite all the ups and downs? I guess being better at knowing what opportunity is worth taking upon and which one is, is not. Also, one of the things I, you know, working out, I, you know, and it's a cliche or whatever, but like, this posture is getting really terrible. <laughs> Just from sitting and, and like hovering over the keyboard, and oh, I noticed man, that. We know it. Yeah, so I, I noticed that maybe I will never get my my posture back, but at least I get some sort of like endorphins going if I do get up and get out the house. And this uh, quarantine thing is just a regular Tuesday for a producer, you know. Like if if you, don't have a, if you don't have a day job. Or if you even if you do for the, for the rest of your time, you're still you're still staying in. So there's nothing super different about it. So I had to force myself to get out the house. It was literally one of the things I I, I would put on my calendar to to just leave the house, even if it's for for the gym or just a walk or something. So 
And I, I came back and I came back with better ideas, not maybe even better ideas for tracks, but better ideas for like how to market myself properly or, or some collabs or let me hit up this person. Oh, I haven't talked to this person or that person. Like I always came back with some ideas. So even from that aspect, I felt like it was worthwhile, you know, like not, not necessarily how many calories I'd burn, but just, just to get to a different headspace. And now I feel like another thing that has given me my sanity back a little bit is, is thinking more from the business aspect of music, like looking at it as a business, not like, oh man, we should collab. Yeah, we should, but you know, what's, what's, where are we going with this, you know? And, and maybe become a little harsher with the nose, but only to keep my own, you know, sanity, so to speak, you know? Um, not taking on projects that that are just like super stabs again in the dark with like, oh, once I get put on or once this happens, no, you just 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 stay no, say no to things or and then charge more for things that you know you're gonna hate doing. <laughs> you know because yeah, even even for, if, like, to this day, I, I, even if somebody somebody still says, okay, can you do this for a couple hundred dollars? Can you do this for $300? And you're like, will, will I enjoy this for this $300? Or would it be like pulling teeth for $300? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think all of us have been there. We're going to tax more for if, if we're going to hate it. That's for sure. Like, I feel like we should have a sound effect for that on this show. Like... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I want to tax alert or something like that because <laughs> there's actually good projects I've been like, yo, I normally would do this for 500. I'm going to charge 15 because I, I absolutely hate this concept yeah, or for idea. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. And then mixing absolutely. part, I, I realized, and I was really, I just had this conversation with somebody this morning. Like a lot of times we fool ourselves, not fool ourselves, but like let's say we want to be a producer, but everybody's like, yeah, you should, you should become an engineer and you should go to the studio and work there, and that's where you work your way way up to these artists and then you can start pitching your music and then you realize 10 years later you're still an engineer not that there's nothing wrong with it if you if that's what you wanted to do but if your main goal is to be a songwriter or your main goal is to be a producer and you're still engineering yeah you're making money but you're still away from your your dream and you're not touching it you know right so that's another thing and then i know that i've taken up uh, engineering quests like mixing and, and, and then that kind of stuff and I can do it but that's not my passion so years ago I would I would say yes to all of it like oh there's money there's, there's, there's a PayPal coming at the end okay sure let's take it whatever it is and now I've learned to even however enticing this is if it's not the amount that makes makes or breaks my budget today or makes me pay my rent or something then I'm, I'm saying more no's to, to, to mixing jobs or engineering gigs that I would have normally taken. Absolutely. And yeah, I definitely can relate to that. Uh, wow. Uh, it seems like you've really been on your grind, you know, since coming over to the States, you've adapted a hustler's mentality and, and really got your business stuff in order. What was that turning point when you actually decided to say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, set my boundaries get my business stuff set up the way I want it. You know, that turning point where you decide to bet on yourself and, and really put your brand out there. My turning point as far as like, I've had a few, right? Like starting with the battles, then from the battles, it was moving towards doing artist tracks and putting more into both licensing lanes and the artist lanes. But then 
when it comes to like saying no to stuff and then putting putting my my mental health first was remember I was I was I was working on a mix and um, for somebody that wasn't paying enough for for what it was but I still wanted to go do a good job because my my you know mentality has always been like if you're not gonna do it right don't do it at all so I was really putting in a lot of work and effort to something and that was like maybe four years ago for something for $200 and I know the work was worth way more than that and this guy came back to me with some tips on how to improve this and this made me so livid I was like this motherfucker and (laughs) that was the point where I'm like you know what like just who can you really blame because you said yes to this thing and this guy has a right to say something because he feels like he's paying a fair price to it and when you say yes to it you have nothing else to do than give him his revisions and and shut up and that's when i realized that okay so it's up to me to adjust this you know if it if it kills my heart and soul to do this project for this amount of money then this is this is a no you know and this is it, this is how it has to be absolutely totally understand that that concept uh you, you know your name is on the line at the end of the day so it's one of those things like, damn it, I should have charged more. But you know what? It's still more important that you leave a good taste in everybody's mouth. So it's like it doesn't affect my business going forward. But it's definitely a lesson learned. Speaking of lessons learned, those usually involve crazy stories. I know Ms. Madley has some crazy stories along this journey. Uh, some funny stuff, some crazy stuff. Uh, we are all ears here. It's maybe not as crazy as it. it was just really shocking to me when I was in a room full of like all these big producers or whatever. And, and I think Focus was there and some other folks. And somebody introduced me to the crowd is like, yeah, you know, the next person I would like you to meet is Miss Madley. I saw her play at LA Expo, which is a, a battle that I did. And mm-hmm. and that went really well for me. And, and the guy was like, yeah, so I saw her in LA and then she was on stage and we were all like, I couldn't believe that these sounds were coming from her. And I was waiting for her boyfriend to come out from the back on crutches because he, this must be that this dude made these tracks and it could have been her. And, oh, um, wow. you know, like, this, like some real back. Some real misogynist. Real misogynist shit. And everybody was applauding. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? When you're in a room full of men, yes, they and, think it's normal. They, they thought clap it was and applaud. Like, they thought it was really like the best compliment that you could ever give to somebody to say, you sound just as good as a man. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the... It was just a shocking story. It wasn't like a, maybe super crazy, but... I was I was just so dumbfounded for for a very long time. I didn't even know how to address this. It's it's so interesting how they just don't get it. <laughs> and that's the thing, like you don't want to even villainize men. It's not even that. It's just it's just like you know, it's unfortunate how the things have been, and and that that this is the state we're we're at, and you know, it's just up to you and I and and other female producers to step up and do what we do, I suppose, and. You know, because most of the people that I work with are men, and I love my my collaborators. I love my my Kenny Buttons. I love my Nook Beats. I love my my guys. Like these mm-hmm. are these are my yeah. my friends and and the people that I you know talk to daily and weekly. So that help me get through these times. So it's not about us versus them. It's more so just like 
the current state of affairs, that's like that's true. Just that's leaves true. you like wow. So, so tell us about this Airbnb experience. I'm curious. <laughs> oh my God, we've had we've had a lot. So when we travel, it's usually um, myself, Nook Beats, and Lisa and Kenny. So it's four of mm-hmm. us. When we go to when we go to any A3C or when we go to LA or whatever, so it's 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 one combination of the four of us, at least right. two of us at, at at the time. So Nook and I have plenty of Atlanta stories where we just end up in a place that that just smells and it is dodgy, and we just have to give it up right right away. Then. One time we had a place, it's me, Lisa, and Nook, and we got a place with this lady who is literally like somebody's church uncle or aunt. Like she she had a curfew. She's like, well, when you come home, you have to call ahead. Uh, The whole house smelled like bleach and there was no shower. There was this Walmart little joint that comes off the faucet. That you just like, oh, and then you see my hair, down. like, oh, like no. I can't, I can't. Oh, I mean, I can't, but like, it was, it's, it's challenging to say and the they least. They had you with the, the sink sprayer. To... <laughs> so then we realized halfway through the night, the first night, that there were actually seven people staying there, not just us and the host, but seven other people. There was one bathroom with that thing, with that hose thing. And she had timed everybody's bathroom times. So she would come knocking if you're there longer than 10 minutes. But this is also where the toilets were. So it was just like, it was such a shit show. And the lady was super rude. And she was trying to charge her set. She's like, well, you can't use the fridge, but there's a, a continental breakfast served for $5 per person. And it was literally two, like, donuts from, you know, one of those like one dollar joints that you can you can buy from the gas station <laughs> so she would serve wow. two, two hard donuts with a coffee she um, was taxing yeah but then she would block the refrigerator so people would would pay her and it was it was just like such a shit show we left that place we originally booked it for 10 and then we left two nights after because there was zero room in our room it was just it was just as like it was a twilight zone like i could not believe that somebody would even rent this place with a straight face right and and then she started getting at us on airbnb just like For the, she, the she, told, she, she was telling me she was like well if you don't like how things work in this country you should go back and stuff like that like right. wow <laughs> really, one star I need, I need her username so i could like go right we all gotta just, just top on i think she's still doing business which is i i can't believe oh, that's insane yeah her name is Ma- mia and then she she had everybody call her dr mia because oh. she had, but, but she didn't have an actual degree. It was it was some bogus, uh, I don't know, some like Sick lady. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So and then yeah, one of these these letters where she was cursing at me on Airbnb. She was like, and it's Doctor Mia to you. And I'm like, okay, lady. And I, it's yeah, Excuse it was me? it was just batshit crazy. And uh, it's yeah, it's just one of the stories. But wow, yeah, <laughs> Doctor Mia. Doctor Mia. I'm definitely gonna leave her a one star. Right, we gotta find yeah find her and hit her up. Put that on the chat. <laughs> but that's just a regular the regular Tuesday again for us, right, you know. For producers, <laughs> for it's like what else? What else? What else do you have? Life, you know, hit me. So I wanted to ask you, what else do you have going on? What do you got coming up? I'm working with a Universal Finland artist Tinze. She is an actual twerk 
twerker, twerk artist, and she has a school in Finland. She's really big over there. But she is, Universal is now kind of signing people of her caliber because times are changing. You don't even have to be, you don't have to be a singer anymore. You don't have to be a rapper. So she right. signed to Universal Finland and I am making all her tracks for an EP or an album given how things work and also make all her music for like social media and stuff. So this is a really interesting project. I'm making trap twerk i don't know west coast this is like a mash of different styles and edm and it's really interesting and i'm i'm kind of pushing my boundaries with this stuff so before we get out of here tell us where we can find miss madly what are your socials what any any projects you got out right now like we want to know it all i had a track that just came out with Ryan Toby. I don't know if you know him, but he used to be in City High. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, Ryan, yeah. And Ryan put out an album just last Friday. That's on Spotify. That's everywhere. So one of the tracks, The Way You Come, that's produced by me. So that's that's what's out. Other than that, I'm on Instagram, Miss Madly, M-S-M-A-D-L-I, uh, same handle, and Twitter, Facebook. I'm online. I'm always open to DMs, collapse, whatever. So no doubt, no doubt. Super dope. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Well, that's it, man. It's been another intense episode of the Beat the Block podcast. It was absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, we got to the nitty gritty, man. We we asked those questions. Everything short of, you know, drug use and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But (laughs) without further ado, that's our time for this week. We will be at you next time. Make sure to tune in to the Beat the Block podcast. I'm your host, Il Brown, along with my beautiful co-host. I'm Trox. I'm Candy. He said beautiful, Trox. You just went ahead and oh, took shit, my damn my spot. Man. That's all right, though. Hey, Trox is beautiful, too. We are beautiful you, you, souls. You beautiful. We're all you beautiful, beautiful souls here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's been real. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace. Peace out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Beat the Block. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps the show a lot. See you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.